0: well good morning church welcome to part three of our series loving this married thing we hope that you're growing in that and that you're loving this married thing that's what our desire is as god's church that's what god's desire is this whole marriage thing was his idea and so uh, hopefully you are celebrating that and learning uh and functioning better with that now I want to uh, say this this morning, this is the last day that you can order the t-shirts and sweatshirts. Um, we've been talking about that for a few weeks now. This is the last day. You can order those. If you haven't yet, you can just go out in the lobby, you can order it through the app or through the website. And what those say is just, it says on the front, real simple, it says, I love my husband or I love my wife. Um, on the back it says, loving this married thing. Uh, we do that. So you wear those around Enid, saturate Enid with, the, with those uh, sh- t-shirts and sweatshirts, married folks. And people ask you a question, people say, hey, that's, that's cool, where did you get that? Or, hey, well, I really like that. Or, you know, start those conversations when they run into three different people in the same day that had those on, it's like, whoa, wait a minute here, what's going on? And it's just a great way to celebrate and to recognize marriage, to uh, just say, hey, hey, we are happily married people, we are dedicated to God's plan and God's covenant for marriage. And so just want to let you know that, that opportunity today is the last day to order. Those will actually be in this Friday. If you've ordered today or any time in the last three weeks, those will be in this Friday. You can also pick them up Sunday if you'd like. So just uh, want to let you know about that deadline. It's been said in marriage that uh, sometimes marriage is totally non-preparatory. I mean uh, that uh, dating is non-preparatory for marriage. You know, because dating, you're always on your best behavior, right? And it seems like sometimes when you're dating, uh, when you're dating, they always say the opposites attract, right? And when you get married, opposites attack, Yes. God uses those opposites that we've learned in this series to complete each other. Uh, The devil wants opposites to compete, but God wants us to complete each other. And God's intentions for us is to have this wonderful thing called a marriage, uh, to produce the next generation of Christ followers. We have kids. um, And not to make marriage something that's a drudgery, but a blessing. And it's not just to be a blessing at the beginning. So many times we, we get married and we do what? We go through the honeymoon phase right where everything is good and joyous all the time and then it goes through struggles and then it's never quite the same and it's like no 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 we can we can get back there um and uh and we will if we will operate in god's guidelines for marriage so we're going to look at two passages uh this morning the first one is in malachi chapter two so if you have your bible invite you to turn to the book of malachi malachi chapter two. that's the last book of the old testament So center right of your Bible there, Malachi chapter 2, we're going to be looking at verses 10 through 14. And just a little bit of background here, Uh, uh, the people of Israel, uh, the Jews have intermarried with uh, people that they were commanded not to, Uh, they've married... people that were worshiping false gods and so they come to this point they're kind of complaining about this to god and god's not blessing us and god's not helping us in our marriage and then god comes down with this thing about a covenant versus a contract here so let's read uh, malachi chapter 2 beginning with verse 10 it says this do we not all have one father capital f heavenly father did not one god create us Why do we profane the covenant of our ancestors by being unfaithful to one another? So it's talking about unfaithfulness right there at the very beginning. Verse 11. Judah, specifically, has been unfaithful. A detestable thing has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. Judah has desecrated the sanctuary the Lord loves. By doing what? By marrying women who worship a foreign god. As for the man who does this, whoever he may be, May the Lord remove him from the tents of Jacob, even though he brings an offering to the Lord Almighty. Another thing you do, you flood the Lord's altar with tears. You weep and wail because he no longer looks with favor on your offerings or accepts them with pleasure from your hands. And you ask, why? It is because the Lord is the witness between you and the wife of your youth. You have been unfaithful to her though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. The wording here is quite strong that marriage is a covenant. And what he's what he's hitting at here, the, the prophet Malachi, he's saying not only did you go out of God's plan here and that you intermarried with people who don't believe in the same God, don't worship the same God, and so you've been yoked with unbelievers. We've, we've talked about that. Read that scripture. And so not only have you yoked yourself here with unbelievers, but then you're also unfaithful to your spouse by divorcing them, and you're not keeping your marriage covenant. Because marriage, we need to understand this. Marriage is a covenant about we, not a contract about me. And in the culture today, that might be part of the problem that we have. Why are so many marriages, more than half, breaking up and entering into divorce? Maybe it's because at the foundation of it, marriage was about me and not really ever about we. But when we go to a covenant marriage, a biblical marriage, where people are mutually submissive and mutually committed to one another, we find out that marriage is a covenant about we and not a contract about me. Now, let me explain the difference here between a contract and a covenant. A contract is based on mutual distrust, okay? And this makes sense if you think about it, if you've ever been a part of a contract. A contract is based based on mutual distrust, and it's really about protecting yourself. That's why you have a contract. In a contract, you say, hey, I'm in as far as what? As far as you are in. If you do me wrong and you break your contractual agreement, then I will do what I can and I will get out of this contract. Contracts are binding, but only by consequence, not commitment. And everyone's skeptical when you go into a contract. If you've done any kind of business dealing, you know what contracts are about. Why do you do rental contracts? To protect yourself. Why do you enter into a purchase contract? It's to protect yourself on the purchase. Sometimes we do this on automobiles, right? Sometimes we do this on homes and banks. They make sure they have the contract. I mean, if you sign one of those things, you know, 90 pages of information and, you know, how many toenails did your mother have? You know, it's like, it's just crazy stuff. We enter into this stuff in the business world. We have office equipment contracts, purchase contracts on equipment, sometimes business services, you enter into a contractual agreement, and all those contracts are really based on mutual distrust. That You might not do what you're supposed to do, so I'm going to get you under contract, okay? And then I'll make sure I'll hold you to your end of the bargain, but that's not the way we enter into a marriage. And I know for some people today they hear that, they say, well, that's exactly what a marriage is. It's a contract, and, but God says, no, it's not a contract. In marriage, if you do your part, I'll do my part, is not part of the equation. If, if you don't do your part, then I'm not gonna do my part, is not a part of a marriage covenant or commitment. But when we treat it as a contract, it is. You see this, a, a, con, a covenant is based on mutual commitment. That's the difference. Contract on mutual distrust, Covenant is based on mutual commitment. It cannot be maintained by just one party. It's an unending, totally binding, forever commitment. It means that you are all in, you are locked in, and there is no back door, there is no way out. It's unending, it's committed forever. The symbolism of a ring in a marriage ceremony symbolizes the unendingness of love and commitment to one another. And when you are married, there is no back door. This is a forever commitment. Because I'm all in, I am dedicating myself to working things out with you forever. I like it and I will share this in premarital counseling with couples. That The D word is not brought up in the marriage. Divorce is not an option. And if you go into a marriage covenant, not a contract, but a covenant, and you enter into it with this mindset, it's amazing how you can work on things together. Now, that doesn't mean that every uh, marriage is together is totally happy 100% of the time. There's never seasons of struggle. I think every couple goes through these seasons of struggle. But when you go through a season of struggle and you are absolutely committed, and you know that, hey, we're not, no one's going to bail on this thing. We're just going to work this out. It's amazing how the mindset of the commitment shifts to help produce good outcomes and good things in the marriage. And so I would invite you to to make divorce not an option. Make it that it's not even a part of the vocabulary. We don't threaten that when we're fighting that you know so and so or so and so always brings up the D word. We're not going to do that. We are actually we are actually committed to one another and so because that's off the table, we got to work harder to work things out. We are yoked in the eyes of God eternally. We don't threaten divorce. We are committed to our marriage covenant, and we took those vows before God and before family and friends. You may remember Billy Graham. Franklin Graham, was, his son, was just on the video for Operation Christmas Child just, just a minute ago. But you remember Billy Graham, one of the greatest evangelists of the 20th century. He was married to a lady named Ruth Graham, and Ruth was in an interview one time about Billy, the late Billy Graham. And Ruth in this interview was asked about their marriage and she was talking about the marriage. And the interviewer uh, just said, Ruth, I just want to know, is there any time in your marriage where you and Billy were fighting um, and it just got so bad that, that you actually thought about divorcing Billy Graham? And, and like, what a shock that was. Have you ever been there? Have you ever gotten that point? where you ever thinking about it? Did it ever come up? And, and she thought for a moment, very thoughtfully, as Ruth Graham would do. And she said, actually, I can answer that honestly, no. I thought about killing him, but I've never, <laughs> never, thought about, never thought about divorcing him. And maybe that's the way it is sometimes, but I guarantee you, as she was tongue-in-cheek and joking about that totally, today the culture sees that marriage is a contract. It is a binding contract and not a blessed covenant. The contract, though, is about me and getting my needs and my end of the bargain and making sure you do your part for me, where the covenant puts the other before ourselves. Anytime there's a contractual prenup, my antennas and wires go up because a contractual prenup, if you read it, usually is about me and not about we. And that's not what God intends for a marriage. In Philippians chapter 2, we're reminded of this passage about how we are to love and to serve one another and, and how we relate to each other. Philippians 2, 3 through 5 says this, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility value others above yourselves. That we could live that out. That there is nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit there's no selfish agenda there's no ambition that we're trying to just produce for ourselves it's all about me rather in humility we value others above yourselves what does the other person need how do i put them first in my life how can i serve them not looking to your own interests but each of you to the interests of the others in your relationships and especially in your marriages with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Now, if you go on and read further in Philippians chapter 2 there, it talks about Jesus Christ humbling himself, taking on the form of a servant, leaving heaven to come to broken, sinful earth, and he came to serve and to sacrifice for us. And the call there in Philippians 2 is that we would in turn sacrifice for others. Because that's what a covenant marriage is to do. It's about sacrifice for the other person. Jesus gave himself up for us. We are to give ourselves up for our spouse and for our family. I want to share another passage with you this morning. It's found in the book of Ephesians. So if you're in Malachi in your Bible, uh, turn to the right several chapters. And kind of toward the end of the New Testament, you'll find the book of Ephesians chapter 5. If you've ever heard a marriage series, been around the church a long time, you probably know where we're going with this, right? There's, the, there's that marriage and Christian household part there in Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, beginning with verse 21, is where we'll be. in my subheading says instructions for Christian households. How should Christian households operate? How should Christian marriages, how can they operate? Let's read 21 through 25. It says, submit to one another out of reverence. For Christ, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, not putting my will and my desires before another person, but I'm going going to have a submissive spirit out of reverence for Christ, the same spirit that I submit myself to God's will, I'm going to submit myself to my spouse. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Verse 22, wives, submit to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Sometimes we read that passage, and it's kind of, kind of tough. I mean, the culture would say No. But here in the Bible, this is the way God intentionally designed marriage to be. He said, I want a head of this household, and I've chosen the man to be the head of the household. But read what it says again, beginning in verse 22. It says, wives, you submit to your own husbands as you do to the Lord, as you do to Jesus Christ. And look what it says then. It says, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. He is the head. Jesus is the head of the church. He's responsible for the church. So the husband is the head of the household. Now look at verse 24. It says, now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives submit to their husbands in everything. And you say, oh, okay, I get the whole submissive principle here. Now, notice in verse 21 it says that we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So there's this idea of mutual submission to one another, but there's also this idea of the head of the household being the man the dad, the father, the husband. And then we get to verse 25 and there's instruction here for husbands. It says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So wives, you are to submit to a godly leader in the home and he is going to love you just as Christ loved the church and gave himself. He's gonna love you sacrificially that you're gonna have no problem being submissive to him because of the way that he treats you. You see, in our passage here, there are actually two parts to a godly home, a godly household. The first one is mutual submission. It's this idea that we will mutually submit our will to one another, that we are constantly living out Philippians 2 and saying, hey, it's not about me, it's about we. It's not about me and my agenda and my selfish needs and the way I want things to operate and the way I want things to work. No, we will come together in mutual submission to one another. And it's amazing when two people come together and they mutually submit. And it's not an all about me agenda, but it becomes an all about we agenda. And they put the other person's needs, desires, thoughts before their own. It's amazing how much harmony and love And maybe even affection would flow out of that type of marriage. And in our passage, that's part of a godly home here, is this idea of mutual submission. But there's also the second thing, godly leadership. God designed the home to operate with godly leadership. But sometimes the leadership in our home, guys, is not always godly. Sometimes we fall short in that area. Now, Satan is a deceiver and a liar, and he's wanted to attack us, lead us away from God, lead us into sinfulness, and because of that, Satan has corrupted this. Now, Satan wants to corrupt this marriage covenant and this idea of mutual submission and godly leadership in these ways. Satan wants submission to be by passivity and disengagement. That's what it means to mutually submit, is just be passive, I don't care, whatever, I don't care. And to be disengaged, that we're just going to disengage, we're not going to pay attention, we're not really locked in, we're not really helping the household, we're not really focused on the household, I'm focused on me, out here, doing my own thing, on the side here. There's no part of this. He wants submission by passivity and disengagement, he also wants leadership by dominance and demands. Well, a lot of guys like to play that card every once in a while, right? Well, I'm the head of the household, God made me the... The sheriff in this situation, and so I'm just gonna demand and dominate. And then, what did it say there in verse 25? Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. And he did what? He gave himself up for her, he sacrificed for her. Christ for the church, husbands sacrifice for their wives. Now, here's the beauty of it I haven't met many Christian wives that have a hard time following godly leadership in the home when they sacrifice for their wife. I mean, I've never had a wife come to me back. He just sacrifices everything for me and just loves me and listens to me and and he's always concerned about my needs and my desires and he listens to what I want and the way that I think and it's so wonderful and I hate following him because he's So wonderful to me. I I just, that just hasn't been, you know, I've done some marriage counseling through the years. I actually call it pastoral advisement because I'm not a counselor. But through all the years, I've never, I've never had that happen. I just, I've never, you know, and I I think this is this symbiotic relationship that God wants us to have in the marriage. That maybe, guys, if we had godly, Christ-like leadership in our home, that wives wouldn't have such a hard time submitting to that kind of leadership. And it doesn't be, become this thing of dominance, you know, the husband dominating the wife, or sometimes the wife dominating the husband. That reminded me of a story. There were two lines at the pearly gates going into heaven. And anytime time you hear a pearly gates heaven story, who's there? St. Peter, right? St. Peter is there, and, and he's doing his job, whatever that is. Uh, and, and so he's there. There's two lines, and there's two lines for married men. One was for men who were dominated by their wives and one was for men who were not dominated by their wives. The line for the men dominated by their wives getting into heaven was as far as the eye could see, miles and miles, you couldn't see the end of the line. And in the line for the men who were not dominated by their wives, there was one guy in that line. And Saint Peter was just baffled. He wanted to know why this guy was in this line and how did he get there, so he, he walks down, he walks over to the guy, he says, Sir, sir, you know, and, and this guy was, you know, average size, average looking. He didn't look super demonstrative or, you know, tough or mean or demanding or anything. I mean, just a normal looking guy. And he said to me, you know, you see this line over here, right? I mean, as far as the eye can see for miles, men that were dominated by their wives. You're over here, this one, this line where men who were not dominated by their wives, he's like, why, why are you here? And he said, my wife told me to stand in this line. <laughs> Good, I'm glad that. I'm glad that got a chuckle. It was a risky, (laughs) risky story there. But it's not to be a 50-50 deal, folks. If you're thinking you're going to enter into a marriage or that you have entered into a marriage where it's 50-50, you give 50%, I give 50%. No, it is 100%, 100% commitment. But so many don't enter into marriage that way. And it becomes this dominant stretch between the husband and the wife. You do your part. I'll do my part. And if you're not doing your part, then I won't do my part. And so it goes, and it feels like a contract that's about me. And not a commitment, a covenant that's about we. See, some have lived with the marriage motto, I will do unto you as you have done unto me. And some people say, well, you know, that's, that's kind of nice. It's got a good ring to it. And, but in a covenant marriage, it's different. A godly marriage motto needs to be, I will do unto you as Christ has done unto me. What has Christ done unto you? Romans says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. His choice to love us and die for us was not based on anything that we did. And though we are horrible toward God and sinful, In our nature, Christ still loved us, cared for us, and sacrificed for us. And in that same way, husbands are called to sacrifice for their family and to sacrifice for their wife. To lay down our life as Christ laid down his life for our families. And wives are to submit to their husbands just as they submit their wills to Jesus Christ out of reverence for him. And in the text, we see this symbiotic relationship, submission to leadership, and leadership to submission. And you may say, well, that doesn't work. I operate a business. That is not the way it works out there. The bu- Folks, this isn't a business transaction. This is a covenant marriage. This is Christian, Christ-founded, Bible-based relationships. They don't work like all the contractual agreements and obligations that you have in the world but I've also been in those situations sometimes where wife says you know it is really hard for me to submit to my husband because my husband isn't displaying godly leadership in the home or isn't displaying leadership in the home or is just absentee from engaging anything in the home now ladies there's no qualifiers here in the text It doesn't say, submit to your husband as long as he's perfect. Submit to your husband as long as, you know, he he does everything just right. Sometimes I think, and I believe there's a scripture in Titus that talks about this, that you could win your unbelieving or your weak faith husbands over through submitting to them and showing them love and showing them respect. That word respect appears down at the end of this passage in verse 33 it says a wife must respect her husband i think sometimes that's how we can win our husbands over to maybe starting that pathway toward godly leadership in the home but also let's talk to the guys the leaders that god has called on to be the head of their households and let's be honest and say we have not led well in the home and I believe that it's the absence of Christ-like leadership in the home that really the families in the homes collapse upon. Part of us, it's really a two-pronged problem. It's two different things, too. Part of us, it's a passive problem. We have a passivity problem. We have no backbone. Sometimes we just don't care. Sometimes we have a willingness to fight, but it's not fighting for godly things in our home. We are not engaged in decisions, or responsibilities in our home. We are passive. We watch sports. We play video games. We go and hunt or fish or golf. We are not engaged in leadership. We are engaged in activity and recreation. And we kind of leave the leadership to the wife in the home. Some guys would argue today that we're too busy busy, 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 busy leading a church, busy leading a company, busy leading an organization. I'm just busy. So, honey, you're going to have to step into this role as the leader in home. Now, wait a second. I I mean, there's this tension here. It's a biblical tension, but we need to engage. Your family is your top priority. Guys, we are called by God to be the leaders in our home. And sometimes I just grow weary of hearing when a woman says, I have a hard time submitting to that guy. It's hard because he does not engage anything in our family. I don't even know if he cares anymore. You see, you have to understand here, this passage is a call to headship in the home. Headship is godly leadership. And God has appointed the man to be in this position in the household. That means that the buck stops there for the spirituality and spiritual depth of the home. Your wife and your children are looking to you to set the tone and the example and the priorities of what your family and what your family life will be like. Now, that doesn't mean that every decision that's made in the home, and down to the little minutia, is made 100% by the husband. That doesn't mean that you never consult with your wife. and You treat her like she's inept, like she doesn't have a mind. She just sits around all day in her robe and her apron, um, just, just wondering what she can do, just at your beck and call. No, it's engaging her in mutual submission in the heart of verse 21. It's engaging her in her God-given thoughts, her talents, her abilities, her mindset, her ideas, and her decision-making skills and bringing them into the equation while you lead the home. You can lead in a different way. You can lead by dictatorship, by making demands of your spouse. But guys, that's not really Godhead. That's not really biblical leadership in the home is to make demands and operate as a dictatorship. That is not loving your wife As Christ loved the church in sacrificing, giving himself up, laying down your life for her. God gave some of us blessings through our spouse with great minds and great ability to have input and to help us lead the home well. But they are to help us. You relate this to the church. If I made every decision for the ministry of the church, that is not a good idea. But a good leader does point the direction. That's what God's call is for us in our homes. Is as the leaders, we are to point the direction. That's what God wants for us. The date was October 1st, October 1st 1932. And no, this isn't something to fight with in your marriage. October 1st, 1932 is actually when they used to play the World Series. They didn't play it in November back back in the day. But you may be familiar with the story of what happened on October 1st, 1932. Game three of the World Series, Yankees versus the Cubs. And the Yankees had this player named Babe Ruth. Maybe if you know baseball, you know the story. Babe Ruth comes up in the uh, fifth inning there and the Yankees are kind of struggling, and, and he decides, I'm going to set the tone for this team. And he steps into the batter box with a Louisville Slugger, just like this. Now, this is an autographed um, Eric Keller edition, and it is not for sale. No one here could afford it. But um, he stepped into the batter's box with a Louisville Slugger, and the legend says that he pointed. A lot of sass. It's a lot of. A lot of confidence, right? He pointed to the outfield center wall. And then here came the pitch. And he hits a home run. And guess where the home run ball went over? Dead center. Babe Ruth. And we would all be like, wow, that's pretty awesome. He called it out. He said, hey, I'm going right there. Here we go. Come on, bring it. I'm ready. And he hits that ball. And he sends it over the wall. Guys, we are to call the shots. And just like he pointed the direction, I'm going there, we're to take our spiritual bat and point our family and say, guys, we're going there. That's the target. This is where we're going to go in our life. That's where we're going to go. That's what, called, that's what God has called us to do. Brothers, point your home in the direction of God. When you point your home and you say, this is where we're going, that's leadership. When you say, this is what we stand for, that is leadership. When you decide and you say, here's what our family is about, that is leadership. When you set the tone and the direction of the home, and you love your wife as Christ loved the church, and you live a life of sacrifice for your family, and you point them toward Christ, that is godly leadership in the home. Not demanding, not distracted and disengaged, not cohabitating with the spouse and not having a relationship with a spouse, not keeping it together till the kids graduate, but setting the tone for your home. It's not control, guys, it's leadership. You don't have to control when you are a leader. This is the call of God for us to lead our families and to lead our spouses and to lead our homes. That's what we're about. We're leading the family where we're going. We don't have an all about me agenda. It's an all about we agenda. But we function as a family, as one unit to serve Jesus Christ. Now, Luke eleven seventeen. Says this, Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Any kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and a house divided against itself will fall. Guys, I'm here to tell you this morning it's really hard to lead like this if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. If He is not the center of your life, it is really hard to be a biblical, godly leader. When Christ is not at the center. And so maybe your next step to following Christ this morning is to get your heart and your life right with Jesus Christ. For some of you wives that you yearn for your husband to be a biblical leader in your home, it's time for you also to submit your will and your life to Jesus Christ, to make him the center of your relationship, that by your modeling and by your love and respect for your husband and by your submission to him, And it might actually lead him another step toward Christ because of the godly love that they experience from their wife. And in this, God's hope is not to just keep marriages together, but to establish families that will go God's direction. A long obedience in the same direction for the rest of their lives.